Well, we hope that so far uh, you've been tracking with this Hope Lives journey uh, along with the rest of our community. But just for review, we've been three weeks in up to today, and I feel like they've been three really powerful uh, thoughts to consider. Uh, the first week we considered God's heart for justice and his heart for action that intends for every follower of Jesus to live a life of advocacy to a greater degree. Then the next week we heard from Drew Hart in the story of Jonah, appreciating that God's people are to love all of the people that God loves and God loves even the people we don't love. So if there are people that we don't want to advocate for or people that we're advocating for and we're advocating against other people, God expects us to live that life of love for everybody. And then last week, Nate Dirks, our action pastor, walked us through in a practical way kind of the four stages of advocacy that he reframed as accompaniment because of how relationally connected they are. Stage one was one of awareness, just learning and understanding more about injustices and, you know, the need for systemic change. Stage two was what he called alignment, actually involving yourself relationally with people who are struggling or are marginalized, especially through systems of injustice. Stage three is one of advancement, he called it, actually contributing some of your privilege to enhance the life and quality of life of the underprivileged. And then stage four is one that he called activism, standing up and saying no, or standing up and you know, advocating for the systemic injustices in really active ways ways. And so what we want to do today is we just want to process those four stages, but actually celebrate some of the ways that God has been growing those dynamics in people across our community. So beginning with the awareness stage, we want to take a look at our relationship personally, and even as a church with the indigenous community. I know for some of us, we may have never spent time considering the perspective of First Nations people and why the issues that Indigenous people face are issues at all. Admittedly, I've only had a handful of conversations in my life where I've sat down to listen and learn, but there are people in our community that have taken some time to do that recently with one of the most high-profile indigenous tensions in our whole country, what's happening in the Caledonia area that's referred to as 1492 Land Back Lane. And so for the purpose of awareness, we're actually going to hear a few minutes of the story and perspective of the spokesperson person of that standoff, an Indigenous person named Skylar Williams. So let's hear his story and gain some awareness together as a church. Welcome to Land Back Lane. I'm Skyler Williams. Uh, we've been here since July 19th and are continuing to hold strong of uh, our peaceful occupation of our lands, uh, despite uh, OPP violence being continued on Six Nations people who are, again, peacefully occupying our lands. Baby, that's score. We sided with the, with the Brits in the revolution. And so because of the loss of land that we had in New York State, we were granted the Haldeman Tract. 
which was six miles on either side of the Grand River from the mouth to the source. And so it's a massive tract of land in southern Ontario. At the very start of the Canadian Lands Registry, people were being encouraged by the federal government at the time to uh, take up take up homes and uh, homestead along the along the tract. And so there was these massive uh, land grants that were given to squatters. There were some uh, uh, valid leases that were made, and then uh, a bunch of that money went into the Six Nations Lands Trust that was held by the federal government that was used for the Grand River Navigation, uh, Osgoode Hall in Toronto, the Welland Canal. So massive infrastructure projects across the country, not just in Ontario, but across the country. All of these dollars that were spent of, of Six Nations dollars that were used to do all of these massive infrastructure projects, and none of that money ever came back to Six Nations. And I mean, when you know a quarter of the entire country lives in Southern Ontario, this is, you know, the, a, a very lucrative uh, tract of land that, you know, our community has never seen a dime for. And so for us to uh, make a stand and say that this is our, this is Haudenosaunee territory and you're not going to roll up massive 1,400 home development directly on the doorstep of our community. It was crazy. Like there are processes within the government for uh, reserves to be able to grow the additions to reserve process, which has been in place for the last 30 years and it has never worked for any community, and so not one reserve has ever gotten any bigger across the country. We need that opportunity to do that, and if you're gonna roll up massive housing developments on the doorstep of our community, it hems us in. It puts aside our ability to be able to grow. And so for this to uh, continue, that uh, uh, massive land thefts is infuriating for our people. The Government of Canada sincerely apologizes and asks the forgiveness of the Aboriginal peoples of this country for failing them so profoundly. Today we find ourselves on a new path, working together toward a nation-to-nation -nation relationship. The federal government keeps talking about nation-to-nation -nation relationships. We can't have nation-to-nation -nation relationships, or certainly not negotiations, when we have the barrel of a gun of the OPP down there pointing those guns at our people. And so when this is uh, the way that Canada and Ontario, certainly Haldeman County, is pressuring the OPP to settle land claims is by jailing, putting under uh, massive bail and uh, release conditions, throwing people in jail, and like this is not how you settle land claims. I have often talked about the need for renewed nation-to-nation -nation relationships with Indigenous peoples. At the same time, we recognize that true reconciliation goes beyond a list of action items. What is needed is a national strategy to advance long-term reconciliation. We are making this commitment because we believe that the best decisions and the best outcomes can only come about when we are fully engaged with all our Indigenous partners. This isn't, certainly isn't what the nation-to-nation -nation relationship that the federal government ran on, that seen Indigenous people across, across the country come out to vote for Justin Trudeau because of this nation-to-nation -nation relationship building process and this truth and reconciliation. Without that truth of what it is that our people have been fighting for for the last 300, 400 years to remove squatters from our lands, 
to respect us as a nation unto ourselves. Like this is what we've been saying. And this is why this has happened uh, here in Six Nations. Because we are a nation unto ourselves. When you come to Six Nations, you are coming to an entirely different country. And so for us, when we say no to development, certainly on the doorstep of our community, that needs to be respected. If you're looking to gain more awareness uh, about our relationship with First Nations people or about any other dynamic that our church has been involved in lately, uh, I would remind you of what Nate uh, instructed us to do last week, and that is to go to our website, southridgechurch.ca slash hope lives. And there's a whole kind of grid there that you can check off depending on the stage of advocacy development that you're at and the interested issues that you're, you're curious in taking steps further in. Uh, you can check off those boxes and uh, people from our action department will follow up with you and help you take next steps. Uh, another action step that you can take is to go to our podcast. You can go to southridgechurch.ca slash podcast and follow our most recent version of our Finding Our Way podcast, which was an interview I did with a friend of ours named Derek Parento to help describe how we as a community can grow in our awareness and in our lifestyle of advocacy when it comes to being good relatives with First Nations people. The next step that we want to take is to celebrate the way that God has been stirring in our community around the step of alignment, coming alongside people in up-close and personal relationship. And so to do that, we want to hear the story of a couple uh, associated with our Welland community named Dwayne and Tammy. Check out their story. Housing, housing right now, the biggest problem uh, that we see is is housing. People can't afford the rents and the money that uh, is designed to, uh, to, to get you into these places. It's just simply not enough. Even the lower quality units, they're still asking a ridiculous price. Like your single person can't afford a decent room where he's got enough food and money to get through the rest of the month. That's the problem. The amount of uh, funding that the government gives to allocate towards rent is, is just simply not enough. And a lot of people are ending up having to spend um, food money, medicine money, and then they're left with, with nothing. And that's a real kick in the teeth for a lot of these people. Everything becomes a lot harder to uh, support your family. For low-income uh, families and for low-income workers or middle-median workers, a lot of it is financial, but I think the even bigger part of it is the, uh, is the social aspect where people just simply aren't getting the same exposure to friends. We're used to going to events throughout the week, showing up to get together, to eat, to enjoy each other's company, and for us even a lot of that isn't so much to go eat. Although they do have good food, but it's more uh, uh, social. Um, but it's mainly a, a huge part of our lives that have been that's been disrupted, and, I, and 
prior to the camp pandemic, there's people that to get out to these events is a big thing because of maybe mm -hmm. mental issues, because of social issues, because of uh, stigmas or, or whatever, uh, societal stigmas, and so they don't go out. And when they do go out to these meals, that's a big thing, and that's one of the few or only things that they, they do. And I'll tell you, one of the things that makes Southridge uh, dinner stand out um, is the fact that the volunteers actually come and sit with us and they'll come and eat with us and chat with us and actually get to know us. Besides the meals that Southridge has organized and uh, being able to get to some of the people that really need it, is uh, is the notes or, or the little or, or the little cards. cards and the and the and the cookies and 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 the words that you know that say that the, that we miss you, we miss yeah. you, and we miss having you uh, having you uh, out out. So it's really that's really nice. Yeah, like. We were able to, we were so fortunate, we were able to go out with, uh, we had a picnic in the park with Ken and Bertha uh, just before it got really bad. And then, um, and it's, and that was one of the last really good, good outings we had and then, uh, and then it was pretty much locked down. By getting to know, for example, us, we might not be need, be in full need of, say, uh, help. But we might know like two or three people that really could use the, the help uh, way more than us, with especially if you can hook up a network with people who are um, more of a pulse on the community. And that's what is a successful uh, formula for being a good, a good pillar in the community, being equal and approaching these people and, and being welcoming. Just being there for people, right, if they need it. Don't be afraid to approach people. Don't be afraid to say hi to people. Um, definitely don't be afraid to be a part of some of the community events that can afford you the opportunity to meet some really interesting people mm. that you probably wouldn't know how interesting they were until you actually get a chance to talk to them. Don't just serve them or don't just drop off a meal or don't just... Um, go build that house, but get to know who the people that are moving into the house. You'd be cutting yourself short of knowing some pretty amazing people by not engaging in the community. Don't just do the actions, follow up and follow up with the people that are benefiting from your actions. Because it's great that you're doing it, and it's great that uh, you're community driven, but if you don't know the community that you're helping, then it's kind of not doing pointless. But you're not getting the full benefits of what you're contributing. Did you see how that alignment worked? Where through a, a food program, people in our community like Ken and Bertha Wilms came alongside people like Dwayne and Tammy who now come alongside others across the Welland community. 
That's why you know, it's actually kind of a struggle where we talk about Southridge and marginalized people like we're one or the other. That's actually called othering. And we, we don't want to do that. We want to live in a friendship that makes a difference where we experience the power and the reciprocity of meaningful relationship through the advocating step of alignment. But we learned last week that advocacy goes beyond just alignment. It actually requires advancement, contributing some of your privilege to help enhance the quality of life of those of less privilege. And to celebrate how God's been doing that in our community, we want to hear the story of Glenn and Sandra Reimer and their family together in aligned relationship with some of our Grenadian friends as part of our Vineland location. Check out what God's been doing there as of late. Some people see us come here and think, oh, we are just black guys who is just, you know, come here to work on the farm. And they don't really know deep inside the stories, uh, who is, I, I'm a father and a grandfather. I love my kids, I, 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 I want to be there with them, you know. It's hard sometimes to be away from your family. We grew up really tough, it was hard. We were not rich people, we, we were from a poor family. But our parents did as much to do the best to take care of us. All we guys here do have jobs. I'm a tailor by trade. Dumba was a carpenter. We had a, we had a, we had a painter. We would get paid much better here. And that's one of the reasons that do our best to make things better day, to build a better life, to build a better home. And, and our family would be better taken care of. I'm, I knew Dumba from a really young age. At the age of 11, 12, or 13, We've been living here together with Dumber for nine, nine years, eight to nine years. So we live like brothers here. We, 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 we look out for each other. And he was a very, very hard worker. I knew Dumber. Me and Dumber almost born together. Dumber is just two months older than me. We born in the same village. We grew up in the same village. Me and Dumber is turned friend by working in Canada nine years ago. And then me and Dumba work a lot in the field together. He, he cared 120% for this family. He would call his kids every single morning. They meant every single thing, every single thing about him. It, 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 it's, it's a terrible and a sad situation to know that we had to go through that, losing him in, in an accident. It's, 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 it has been a really tough time and something hard that we guys are struggling to admit and to, to deal with. It, I was touched by every person who come over to visit, who brought cakes and lunch and food and just wanted to support in some way, wanted to know what they could do. It would have been much harder if we didn't have this community. Not just because of the accident. We had people in this community who were looking out for us. We would go to church with the Remis, who would invite us over to, to, 
to lunch and dinner and they would get to know, they get to know our wife and our kids and they had our wife number or our kids on Facebook if something went wrong they would be able to contact them well, we first got to know the guys because Dunbar came over to our house and introduced himself to us, and um, and it was just kind of neat. But we've reached a level where we definitely feel like we have family in Grenada, family with these guys, yeah. The casual conversations turn into, you know, a little bit more, and you find out similar stages of life with, uh, with family and kids and that kind of thing, and just, it was nice just being able to chat about uh, where you're at with uh, with children and what they're doing in school or how they're doing and it was just real fun uh, getting to know them that way. Well coming swimming sometimes after work if it's a hot night. Um, Devin and our youngest daughter Kira have had fun challenging each other to cannonball competitions in the pool and and just like being family with each other. We feel like we have family in Grenada now. Glenn and Sandra is very very good to us very nice people, and I wish them all the best of their life. I am so proud and so happy to have these neighbors and to have people like Southridge Community Church who look out for us, who would invite us, who would have dinners for us. I personally feel that I wouldn't have liked to be nowhere else for to deal with something like that besides home than here. Even though we have this kind of bad situation, there is something good coming from that. There is neighbors getting to get to know each other better. There is friends wanting to meet us and know us a bit more, to know our family back home, why we are working so hard. It is reassuring that um, the families of these guys can see that they're loved when they're here and that they have family here as well who are taking care of them when they're, when they're gone so long from their own families. Look out for us a little bit more, not because we are farm workers. Pay attention to the guys who come here to work hard and, and provide food for the nation. Don't have us, you know, like we are nobody. We are somebody. We are somebody, you know. We live with family, you know, back home to come here only to better ourselves, only to better our life, only to give with family a better life. Yeah, and we like we like people to show us love. Yeah, we're not hostile people. We are loving people. And they show us love, then we come into you. Our friendship um, with our Grenadian friends is just, it's benefited us hugely. Like, the the things we've learned from them, the positivity in their lives. They're so far from their family, they're working so hard. Our relationship is mutually beneficial for sure and I feel like um, everyone could benefit from getting to know the guys. I am grateful that God has placed us in a spot like this where we could have this kind of family around who look after us. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for much better. I couldn't. I hope you can see by Glenn and Sandra's story together with our Grenadian friends that love is a lot more than a feeling. Love is an action that does things, that exercises hospitality, that provides care, and that meets needs in a practical way. That's why uh, Pastor Nate refers to it as advancement. It advances the quality of other people's lives. 
But even then, uh, a life of advocacy doesn't stop there. We've been learning that it's not just about helping people out of their struggles, you know, in a raging river, but actually looking upstream and looking at what the systems are that cause people to struggle in the first place. And uh, one example of that, it actually happened a few years ago, and we recorded it uh, a number of years ago, uh, was through our St. Catharines location with a friendship that uh, one of our pastors, Tom Lowen, had with a guy from our homeless shelter uh, named Norm Arnold. And uh, some of you have seen this story before, but we felt like it was too special not to share. So let's celebrate this God's story of activism in the life of Tom and Norm. Check this out. When we got to the hospital, I realized something was horribly wrong. As the doctors were still trying to figure things out, um, I found myself in a sudden conversation about end-of-life scenarios, and she essentially told us the, the exact words were, um, people don't recover from what Norm has. Um, that was pretty devastating. Um... At the time, I remember thinking, with all of the stuff that Norm has been through in his life, that chicken pox or shingles was the thing that was going to actually take him down. I just couldn't believe that. It wasn't the violence, it wasn't the drugs, it wasn't the years spent in prison, it wasn't the unhealthy lifestyle or the homelessness. So the next day, uh, I went to work. It was Tuesday, I remember, because we had a staff meeting. I remember just saying we were to that we were told that people don't recover from what Norm has. But I felt in my heart, and I, I remember just saying, but they don't know the God that we serve. So we huddled into groups, and everybody prayed. Um, and I left the staff meeting and went and picked up Sarah and went back to the hospital. And to our utter shock and amazement, when we walked in the room, Norm was sitting up with his eyes open. The next day when we came back, all I can say is he was, it was like he was completely back to normal. In fact, the doctor came in and told us there was nothing medical, there was no medical reason to keep him in the hospital anymore. They were gonna discharge him. So we didn't really know how to react to that. Uh, kind of, it was exciting that he wasn't gonna die, but kind of strange to think about now, what does this mean? I was at my brother's house and the two of us were trying to get to the bottom of how, how could this have possibly happened? Why did they not treat him in the first place? When I got to the hospital, my ride left, and when I saw the doctor, I said to her, I said, I think I got shingles. And she said, what are you, a doctor? It, was, it really wasn't until after he was better that we started to get upset about why this had happened. And so we actually called the hospital to see if we could get a hold of the administrator and find out, you know, at the very least to register some complaint about the, the care that Norm had received but we felt like if the person couldn't look Norm in the eye and say, I'm sorry for what I did to you, that that just felt inadequate. When Tom arranged this meeting with the doctor and her boss, I wanted to know 
for myself if this person really felt bad about what she did. I wanted to be able to know if I was going to let this go or if I was going to sue him. She's got a stone-cold look on her face. Now I'm starting to get um, angry. She's got no reply. She's not even talking. I thought she was just in the meeting because her boss made her go in the meeting. I said, Tom, we're going. Let's get out of here. I can't be in this room no more. Um, and then that's when uh, the guy said, Norm, what, what do you want? I said, I want to know why this person didn't give up about me when I walked in. And then she said, I haven't cared for a long time. Shortly after that, uh, she started crying. I told the lady, I, I said, I forgive you. Then she started getting more emotional and I was, I was asking her, like, does she got somebody in her life that she can talk to? Like, I got Tom and his family. And I got people I can talk to. Um, if I didn't, I'd never got through this. She said, I don't got a belief like you guys do. As I was going to walk out the room, I think I just turned to her and said, can I give you a hug? And I gave her a hug. Very weird for me. <laughs> I watched this once you know, stone-cold doctor who seemed to not care about anyone or anything. And this person I'd seen come from so much anger and violence and hatred and darkness embrace in this truly loving hug. You could feel that there was actual grace. I've never acted like this before. Norm left the building and somebody else was running the show and that's my miracle. Part of the reason we wanted to show that video is because uh, a number of us are just days away from uh, kind of remembering the one-year anniversary of when we got the news that Norm Arnold actually passed away on Christmas Day last year. And I know that there are so many people in our community who are affected by Norm and are going to miss him dearly. But uh, I know a number of us have talked and felt like uh, Norm probably wouldn't have done too well in a global pandemic. And so uh, maybe enjoying Jesus uh, is a better reality for him. Um, the other reason we wanted to show that video and kind of close with that video is just to celebrate the power of what God can do when we actually live a life of advocacy all the way to the end, all the way to that activism where we stand up for systemic change. When we do that, that's really the place where God's spirit can unleash and do extraordinary things. And so as we wrap up this series, I want all of us to consider where we're at on that advocacy spectrum through that way of life that Nate described as accompaniment. 
and ask what the next steps might be that God is inviting each of us to take so that we don't miss out on the wonder and power of a greater degree of God's work in our lives. Whether it's taking the first step of awareness or the relational step of alignment or the practical step of advancement or the ultimate step of activism, God is inviting us into the life and way of Jesus to live a life of advocacy to a greater degree where he promises to pour his love and power and activity in and through our lives like we've never experienced before. So as we wrap this series up, let's consider how each of us and us together can take those steps so that God can show up in ways like we have never seen. Let's pray together, everyone. God, we thank you for the journey you've had us on, and we thank you uh, for your faithfulness to continue to grow us in these ways. And we know that you're the God who hasn't just begun a good work in us, but wants to carry it on to completion until the day that Christ returns. And so I pray that we would be faithful to you in response, and that wherever we find ourselves today, we would take that one next step of a lifestyle of advocacy so that we can open our hearts up one more degree to your love to your power and to your extraordinarily miraculous work. I pray that you would wow us in the years to come with your faithfulness as we live this lifestyle of advocacy through accompaniment to a greater degree. We look forward to watching you work and we thank you for this last month and for your faithfulness in our lives and for our church. We pray all these things with thanksgiving in Jesus name. Amen.